listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. We've now arrived at the fourth Sunday of this 50-day season of Easter, a day often called Good Shepherd Sunday. Because the lectionary texts always have us reading shepherd-themed texts. The image of Christ as the Good Shepherd is one that's been rather heavily sentimentalized. If you think of all those paintings and illustrations of a very peaceful, often doughy-eyed Jesus with an equally peaceful and doughy-eyed lamb slung about his shoulders. That's the sentimentality, which is a bit odd when you stop and think about it. Think about what the text from John actually says. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says in the 10th chapter of the gospel according to John, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As if to make sure that his audience not miss the point, the same phrase is repeated just a few verses later, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The heart of the job description for this good shepherd is a willingness to die, to die for the sake of those under his care, for the sake of his sheep. The hired hand, Jesus says, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep, runs away. For the hired hand doesn't care for the sheep, doesn't have the same deep investment in the lives of the flock as does the shepherd. But I do, Jesus says, because I am the good shepherd. Now I suspect that a culture that had, a more, had more familiarity with sheep and shepherds might have seen all of this imagery a little bit more realistically than those illustrations and paintings. Go home and Google search Good Shepherd and see what pops up. As the American humorist Garrison Keillor remarked in his retelling of the Nativity story, shepherds were not classy people because sheep are not classy animals. From a distance, sheep look just fine. But once you get up close to a sheep, all of the classy people get out of the business. If you could do anything other than be a shepherd, you probably would have. And then Keeler rather wryly added, sort of like parking lot attendants. The life of the shepherd landed you on the fringe the fringe of a society that, although agrarian, also had fairly high standards around things like keeping your hands clean and eating according to Torah law. They lived rough out in the hills, tending animals that required a lot of protection. There's nothing much to sentimentalize about shepherds in that world. Yet for all of that, the ancient world also had an image of the shepherd king. The king was the one who was to protect and to provide for those under his rule, so was often seen as a shepherding figure. That's not exclusive to Israel either. 
Hammurabi of Babylon identified himself as a shepherd. In Homer, the Greek chieftains are presented as the shepherds of their people. David, of course, was not only a shepherd boy who became king, but as a king he was described as the shepherd of Israel. The writings of the prophet Ezekiel, there's held out a promise of another king, a new king like David, who will likewise be a shepherding king. But that comes as part of Ezekiel's extended meditation about God as the true shepherd of Israel, God as the one who seeks out and protects. So from Ezekiel 34, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. That's a pretty robust picture of God's shepherding work, particularly when you include not only the seeking of the lost and the binding up of the injured, but also the feeding of the strong with justice, a feeding that will evidently knock them from their places of privilege. Again, there's nothing particularly sentimental about that image. I'd actually want to say the same thing about the 23rd Psalm. It's often the psalm of choice to be read or prayed at hospital bedsides, in palliative care wards, And at funerals, it's not a bad thing, not at all. Even in a society that is increasingly biblically illiterate, people still often recognize those lines, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's times at the time of death or after a death at a funeral, there's times when the familiarity of such words does its own gentle work, and that's good. Yet if you probe a little more deeply into that psalm, what you discover is that there is a very robust shepherd at work here too. Yes, at the psalm's opening, there are those green pastures and clear waters. They're soon followed by the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes translated from Hebrew simply as the darkest valleys. And then follow the presence of my enemies. Psalm 23 is not a picture of sheep lolling about endlessly in some idyllic pasture land, but instead it's a text about movement. From a place of safe orientation, that's the the good pastures, the clear waters, through the disorientation of those dark and deep valleys. And all the while in that travel, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The Hebrew word that's translated follow is radaf, which is actually more accurately translated as pursue. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. As Brueggemann and Bellinger note in their commentary, 
This remarkable verb, radaf, suggests that the subject thought he was being pursued by dangers and threats, but in fact it was the providential goodness of God that was what had been following him and chasing after him. This is a shepherd who pursues, in other words, much like the shepherd in Jesus' parable of the lost sheep. This shepherd of Psalm 23 pursues with staff in hand. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Comfort is such an interesting word to use there. For when a shepherd holds his staff or his crook, what is it that they use it for? To fend off predators for sure, but that crook is made to catch the lambs by the neck before they get themselves in too much trouble wandering off. And the staff is also used to give the more stubborn sheep good solid wallops on their flanks. Kind of gives you a different understanding of what it might be to be pursued by this shepherd, doesn't it? In his comments on the psalm, James Howell quotes the dying words of John Wesley. The best of all, God is with us. And then Howell adds, God doesn't shelter us from trouble. God doesn't magically manipulate everything to suit us. But the glorious with us is unassailable, unchangeable, the only fact that matters. The glorious you are with me makes the darkest valleys somehow navigable, evil irrelevant, powerless, the presence of enemies ultimately inconsequential. A table is prepared in the very presence of my enemies in this psalm, and on that table is set an overflowing cup symbolizing abundance. And my head is anointed with oil, symbolizing healing and restoration. This shepherd does not, in other words, save us from all adversity, but rather pursues and sustains and feeds us right in the midst of adversity. Then Psalm 23 ends in the house of the Lord, in the temple of Jerusalem, which might seem an odd destination for a flock of sheep, but given that we've already been given a picture of a table with its overflowing cup, it should be rather clear that this psalm writer is not afraid of mixing imagery and metaphors. For we who read this psalm with Christian eyes We understand the Jerusalem temple to have been fulfilled already in the person of Jesus. He was speaking of the temple of his body, as it says in John 2. So we can hear in this a promise of dwelling in the presence of Christ all the days of our lives. Through thick and thin, whether or not we can always see it. We are in the presence of this pursuing good shepherd. Garrison Keeler, though, was quite right to say that sheep are not particularly classy animals and that on account of that, shepherding was not especially desirable work. 
By analogy, we need to confess that we who are claimed in Psalm 95 as the people of God's pasture, the sheep of God's hand, have the propensity to be as unclassy as any flock of sheep. We stumble, we get lost, we wander off, we forget whose we are, who our shepherd is. We get hard-headed, we imagine we might know better paths to follow. We sentimentalize green pastures and cool waters. We convince ourselves that we're entitled to those green pastures and cool waters, and we get resentful when the paths begin to take us into darker valleys. Thank God, then, that Jesus the Good Shepherd was and is singularly disinterested in any work other than shepherding. Thank God for the calloused working hands of Jesus with dirt under his fingernails and scars on his palms. Jesus, who enacts for us the glorious, you are with me, even in our lostness. And that's the good news for this, the fourth Sunday in the season of Eastertide. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church, or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.